0: since I've lived here in this great state for about six years, and that's uh, j- across the board, you, we, Ohioans, how about that, um, we're very diversified. We're very different from one another. You know, politically, the swing state. I mean, our Ohioans are arguing about stuff a lot. But when it comes to Buckeye Nation, I'm telling you, man, I mean, it's crazy. It comes to Buckeye Nation, and all of a sudden, all of those things that we want to fight and argue about, we set those things aside, and we are unified for a common cause, man. Beat the SEC, right? I mean, that's a big deal. Okay, so I'm not sure if I should leave this on the whole time that I'm preaching. But just, I want, I, you know, I want you to think about it, because wouldn't it be cool, I mean, wouldn't it be cool if we could kind of get that unity thing down in the church? I mean, just like we have just experienced, I mean, this week, better than ever, right? Wouldn't it be cool if we could do that and put aside differences and just unite around a common cause? You know, I think, I think I remember reading something about that. And uh, that's kind of where we're at today. So today... Uh, If you have your notes, the title I've given today's message is Biblical Unity. And I really want to share with you what God has to say about unity. And it's a really important subject, although the very word only appears three times in your Bible. We'll look at all three places. Um, We think about unity. We think about words that are similar, like unify or united. Uh, Obviously, the idea is, is that when we have unity, we bring many parts into one. Okay, so we have the United States of America. There are many states, but we are one nation. Okay, on your money, it says, E pluribus unum. Okay, that's Latin. Out of many, we bring one. Okay, that's the whole idea that we're talking about. And unity, without question, is a good thing, right? I mean, unity is a good thing. And so what I want you to do is just notice with me, the verse should come up on the screen, Psalm 133. There's only three verses. And it is the first time that the word unity is ever mentioned in the Bible. And we're going to learn a couple things from that. Just an introduction, Psalm 133, 1 through 3. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There you go. And then we give two examples. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion... For that, there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So very quickly, this passage of scripture, these three verses, this short psalm, is directed towards the brethren. It is directed towards the family of God, albeit the Old Testament. These are people who surrendered their hearts to Jehovah God. And it gives two illustrations of how that plays out. In verse two, it says it is like, that's a very important word in your Bible, the precious ointment that it is put upon Aaron, the high priest of the nation of Israel, on his head, it flows down his beard, across the breastplate and the garments, all the way down to the skirts of his garments. And and this anointing is really what it represents, the anointing of the, of the Holy Spirit of God as, as Aaron is anointed as the representative to go before God for the people and go before the people for God. And, and this oil, this, this ointment that would be put on him that would drip down, would ultimately drip across the breastplate, and if you took time in the Old Testament to study the garments of Aaron, the high priest, you would see that on the breastplate there are 12 jewels, there are 12 sections that represent one for each of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And so, so this anointing of the Holy Spirit through Aaron comes down and drips across even the very thing that is given to represent the, all of the different tribes, but yet they are unified in one nation. And how wonderful, how good, how pleasant it is when we are all brought together in unity. How wonderful it is when it is like this holy anointing of God, this supernatural effect of biblical unity. It creates power and it glorifies God. He blesses it and we need to learn about it. Verse 33, As the dew... That descends. And very simply, just as the fresh morning dew that descends on the ground, it is just very refreshing. And I'm here to tell you if you spent any time at all walking with the Lord in church uh, and, and, have, and have experienced conflict, as all of us do, when we really find true biblical unity, it is so refreshing. <laughs> It is like a fresh dew. It's not, actually, I guess this is the Bible verse for mountain dew. I just thought of that. Okay, so that's something. (laughs) You kind of take that for what it's worth. Um, Steve Roth will. Anyway, okay. So, there is power in unity, right? And that's part of what we, we need to learn. Here's the idea we can do more together than each of us can do singularly. The expression that a lot of us are aware of is that the whole is greater. Than the sum of its parts. That is typically attributed to Aristotle, but it has meaning. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. One of the words that we might use today to describe that would be synergy. We all come together in a synergistic way, and each of us bringing to the table our particular gift or portion or contribution, but when we all come together, it's much more powerful. And that's a really, really important thing. In fact, it is so important. That we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, in his high priestly prayer before the crucifixion, he's in the, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying to his Father. This is the theme of his prayer before he dies to unite the body of Christ. In John chapter 17, verse number 11. You can read the entire chapter 17 to get the context, but I pulled out a few verses that really emphasize it. John 17, verse 11 he prays to his father and says, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Why? That they may be one as we are, Jesus says to the father. If you jump down to verses 21 to 23, he goes on and he says, that they all may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory that thou hast given me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. It's a big deal. I mean, this idea of being unified with one another in the name of Jesus Christ It's a very, very important thing. It is the last prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, Lord, please answer this prayer that they can be one. And if that happens, if that happens, it says the world will know. The world will believe. You see, it's more than just enjoying the refreshment of getting along with people instead of fighting. That is a benefit but it is actually a testimony. I mean, just look out around the world, man. Everybody's fighting. Everybody's mad. Everybody's arguing. Everybody's standing up for their rights against somebody else's rights. And nobody seems to be willing to lay aside some of that stuff for a common cause that matters. And y'all, if we don't have a common cause that matters, nobody does. Nobody does. It's an important thing. It's so important that when we see in the history and the very beginning then of the early church, when the church became a living entity, Acts chapter two, what do we find? Acts chapter two and verse number one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, what was going on? They were all with one accord in one place. They were unified. They were unified. And And the narrative goes on and you can see that throughout the beginning of the book of Acts. I picked Acts chapter four, And verse 32, very clear. And the multitude of them that believed, that's like us, were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. So nobody was fighting, hey, this is mine, hey, that's yours, hey, hands off, hey, stop that, hey, wait a minute. No, they were of one mind, of one heart, of one soul, one purpose. And they're like, Mikasa and Sukasa. <laughs> I mean, they're just together and they're working it together and it's a blessing. There's only two other places in all the Bible where the word unity appears. And they're both in Ephesians chapter 4. And that's going to be our text as we go forward, okay? So let's pray together. We'll jump into Ephesians chapter 4. Heavenly Father, we see it. This is an important thing and while I got to say, just as a human who's lived a bunch of years, it's intuitive. It's intuitive that it's better to be at peace with people than not. But Lord, I pray that you would give us your understanding. I pray that you would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts and that we would give the, the, this, the introspection, that we would consider our own hearts and our own lives and, and measure it against what you desire And see if it's not just necessary for some of us, all of us, at some level, to just decide, I'm going to lay aside my whatever, fill in the blank, for the greater cause that is your glory and the gospel and people come to know you. Father, I pray that you would burn it in our hearts and that we would enjoy biblical unity together It is refreshing. It is powerful. It is synergistic. God, we need you to do that, so please come. We beg you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, our first point that we're going to see is the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. And we're going to see that in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read the first six verses together. So just follow along. I'm going to read the first six verses of Ephesians 4. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep, here it is, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, And in you all. You get the picture? (laughs) Okay, so it starts off, verse number one. He says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. So naturally, some of you might ask, what is that? What is that vocation? Well, to fully get the understanding, all you have to do is when you go home, just read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Because the way the book is written is Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are a doctrinal position of who you are in Jesus Christ. If you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then God has done some amazing things in you. Whether you recognize it or not, they are true of you. It is your position in Christ. And then he turns the corner in chapter number 4, and the very first verse launches into the last three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, that talk about how we practically live that out. That is Paul's style. He does that in a lot of his letters. So he gives you the position doctrinally who we are, and then he turns a corner and he says, as a result of who God sees you to be, now live that way, right? I mean, that is kind of the, that's practical theology. Practical theology is just the idea God has already given you a bunch of stuff. Don't blow it. Don't live like the devil. Don't be selfish. Walk in that victory that he's already procured for you. And so that's what verse number one is all about. Walk worthy of all the stuff I already told you. And again, when you read the first three chapters, you're just blown away by all the things that God has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you gonna pull that off? Verse number two, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Well, that's kind of a rapid-fire list of characteristics that if we apply, you'll find your life is just going to be better. What those things all trend against is pride, selfishness, self-serving attitude. What about me? You did this to me, and I have the right, and who are you? Well, not if you have the idea of all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, and forbearing, all motivated by love, right? And, by the way, continuing on, how are we living out walking worthy? Well, we're going to have this humble, meek, patient, forbearing characteristic. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this idea of endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace is an application. It is the outflowing of the reality of walking worthy of the vocation of who Christ has made us to be in him. So let's break it down a little bit and look at the words. It starts and it says endeavoring, notice to keep the unity of the spirit. If we have to endeavor to keep it, that must mean that it already exists. It doesn't say endeavoring to create the unity. It doesn't say to make the unity. Go find the unity. It doesn't say any of that. We already have been given a unified front. What we have to do is make sure we don't blow it. We need to make sure we don't run from it. We need to make sure that we don't do things contrary to those verse 2 characteristics that would kill it. Endeavor to just keep it. (laughs) It already exists. And the way that we see it already exist is what we see in verses 4, 5, and 6, right? And the first way we're going to see that is we have a common Lord. We have a common Lord. So in these verses, it references one God and Father, one Lord, Jesus, and one Spirit. It's the Trinity. It's the Godhead, All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4, the Bible clearly states, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So the very Godhead, the very Trinity Himself is an expression of unity. There are many three brought into one. One Lord. And that's who He is. And that's why it is so critical when we live our lives in biblical unity with one another. It is a demonstration of the glory of the very Godhead where they are three and yet they are one. And that's a really important thing. Why does God bless it? Why does God anoint that? Why does he love that? Why does he show up in your lives when we do that? It is because we are literally demonstrating physically here an expression of who he is. All the ones that are listed in verses 4, 5, and 6, there's seven of them, by the way. Three of them are common Lord. The next two we're going to look at is one baptism and one body. I'm calling that our common family. Our common family. Because clearly, we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Notice this. There's one baptism. There's one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and hath many members. It's a physical illustration. Every one of us, we have one body, right? One body, many individual little members. Every little member does its own thing. And that's the illustration that is taken throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So he says, "As as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, here it is, are we all baptized, into one body. There it is, one baptism, one body. It is a spiritual baptism. It is the event of receiving Jesus Christ. You are immersed into the body of Christ just as water baptism is a picture of that one true spiritual baptism that places you literally spiritually into the body of Christ. But the one true baptism of Ephesians 4 is not water. It is a spiritual baptism. If you study the scriptures in detail, you'll find that there are seven different baptisms listed, but one that stands head and shoulders above all the others. All of the others picture and type and point towards the one true baptism, which is the spiritual baptism in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Many are made one. It's unity. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, And have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. So again, he gives us this illustration. He tells us who we are. How did he make us? In Christ, we are all individual believers. The Holy Spirit individually indwells your body, but together we are the body of Christ. And that is a critically important thing that you need to understand. God thinks it's critically important and it is very important for our fruitfulness as we'll see in a bit. The last thing we're gonna see, it says one faith and one hope. I'm calling that our common inheritance. Our common inheritance, our eternal home, right? We're all gonna be together in heaven one day. If you can't get along now, you better figure it out because you're stuck with one another forever. It's our eternal inheritance. We are united, Galatians chapter five and verse number five, for we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Faith obviously is the vehicle that stimulates our ability to enter into this relationship. The hope that we have is the, is the soon appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our gathering together unto Him. It is when we all become one. That is the hope of the believer. We suffer on this earth now. We go through things that are hard. Life just hits you in the face, and you have to wrestle with a daily walk of faith because you have eyes of hope Looking forward that there is something greater in the future, and that something that is greater is not only one local church, but every believer of history from the resurrection of Jesus Christ till the rapture of the church, all become one in one unified inheritance. There going to be no fighting there. Not going to be no tears and crying. There's not going to be any strife and contention. There's not going to be any divisions and arguments. That sound awesome. I can't wait. Well, reality kind of, you know, doesn't always work that way just yet, and we're gonna, you know, we're working through that. But those three things, our common Lord, our common family, our common inheritance, that's pretty cool, right? I mean, you think, you would think that we would all be happy knowing we got that, right? I mean, you would think that that would be enough to supercharge our batteries and say, right, absolutely, man, I'm not worried about the other stuff. But it doesn't always work that way. Reality is different. Y'all are listening. You're tracking in your heart or your mind or your mouth. You're saying amen. But you're going to walk out those doors and it just ain't that way. Why is that? Well, interestingly, God obviously is not ignorant of these things when he says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's going to take some work. You have to endeavor <laughs> to make it happen because problems arise and just a a, a a cursory review of the biblical narrative points that out even in the early church you get to Acts chapter 6 and what do you have you have conflicts where the church has grown so much and there's so many people let me just tell you something having a big church is awesome the more the merrier. That means more people are believing, more people are gathering, they're worshiping, they're learning. That's awesome. But can I just tell you on a very practical level as a pastor, more people equals more problems (laughs) because we are problem-ridden people. We all are. And so, you know, there's challenges. And in Jerusalem, they had thousands and thousands of people and they had problems and people were feeling neglected and they were murmuring and complaining and and all this stuff was going on. I mean, it happens. It happens. Ephesians 2, I wanted to point out, verses 12 to 15. It says, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, Jew and Gentile, by the way, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the hatred that would have existed previously. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. You can make an application to lost man and holy God, but in the church they're they're fighting about Jew-Gentile relations. And it's interesting because if you don't think that in the early church, when Gentiles started getting saved and started joining up with Jewish believers, that there weren't conflict? It would be like Israel and Palestine all coming together in one. Now, can that happen? Of course that can happen. God's Spirit can supersede all of those things and, and melt our hard hearts and get glory. Of course. But it's that heated. It would have been that. You know there were conflicts among those churches, of course. Life brings strife and contention between people. I just threw out a verse for your reference, Galatians 5 and verse 20. And Galatians chapter 5 is the place, a couple verses beyond this, is where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But before it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it talks about the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh are these. And it gives a long list of carnal fleshly behavior. And among the list of the carnal things that people do when they walk in the flesh as they manifest strife. They manifest strife, contentions. The book of Proverbs writes frequently about this issue of strife. And in the book of Proverbs, there are many different things that kind of tell us who or what is it that brings strife into a relationship. And I made a list for you. Hatred brings strife. The wrathful man brings strife. The froward, similarly, contrary man, brings strife. The guy who loves transgression, just likes to mix it up, he brings strife. The meddling fool, <laughs> the scorner, he brings strife. The talebearer, the gossip, meddle in other people's business, go around, tell people about it, that brings strife. It might be best summarized by this one, a proud heart. A proud heart brings strife. An angry person brings strife. I mean, these are the realities of life. This is the life in which we live. This is the life that we, who have been cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, have been made anew. We are new creatures. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. We are to put on the new man and walk in glory and holiness for him forever, still yet wrestle with the power of the flesh. And so, this is what happens. So we find Divisions. And we find divisions not only just in the world, but we find it in the church. And we're going to look at a couple of places in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And for those of you that are Bible students, it won't surprise you that we find them in 1 Corinthians. Because 1 Corinthians is the book that is written to the church of truly born-again people who are walking under the power of the flesh. They are very carnal. And every chapter addresses some other problem that they have because of their carnality. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all, not most of you, not the majority of you, not those that are able to vote, (laughs) all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's Paul's prayer for them. That is the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to write this letter and saying, look, Every single one of you. My prayer for you is that all of you be of the same mind and of the same judgment, and that you speak the same things, and that you are totally united, and there's no schisms, there's no divisions among you. You are perfectly joined together. That's my desire for you. Certainly they weren't living that way at that time. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. He kind of rebukes them. He says, For you're yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? In other words, whenever you can point your finger to situations where there are strifes and divisions and carnality, I mean, that is a carnal church. Those are carnal believers. When people are fighting and they are divided and they are drawing a line in the sand and they're saying, this is what I think and I don't care about what you think. And when that is going on, one thing you can know, you can argue about who's right, but one thing is a, is a money-back guarantee. There's carnality. Because if there were not, it wouldn't exist. If there were not, we would be walking worthy of the vocation. With all meekness and lowliness and forbearing one another, that's what we would see. But when we don't see that, there's carnality. Why is unity so difficult to keep? Besides the fact that we're carnal. (laughs) Well, what should be our response? How can we help to alleviate that? What steps can we take to better understand how to not allow that to happen in our lives? Well, that's going to be our second point. Because when we get to the last usage of the word unity, Psalm 133, Ephesians 4, and verse number 3, and the last usage will be verse 13, I think we're going to understand exactly what God intends. And there's a lot of confusion about this, so I'm excited to share it with you. All right, it's the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith. In verse number three, it's called the unity of the spirit. And in verse 13, it's called the unity of the faith. I want you to follow along. I'm going to jump in at verse 11 and go down to verse 16. Verse 11 to verse 16 is all one sentence. And he, Jesus Christ, gave to the church, if he took the other verses in context, and he, Jesus Christ, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. For how long? Till we all come in the unity of the faith. There it is. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth, from this point forward, be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And while there's a lot of verbiage in that one long sentence, there is clearly one theme. Clearly one theme. We are too work together, and we are to continue to do so until such a time, verse 13, till we all come in the unity, not of the Spirit, but of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is an application to be made for spiritual maturity in our lives here and now yes but the ultimate fulfillment of verse 13 the ultimate realization of experiencing this thing called the unity of the faith will not happen until the rapture because there's a lot of people who love the lord jesus who have surrendered their heart to him that that truly are born again that will never and i say never on this planet come around and agree with some of the stuff you and I think are important doctrinally? Does that mean they're not a part of the body? Absolutely not. God knows. Oh, by the way, how about the stuff we think that's whacked? See, when we see Jesus, right? I mean, it's going to be like, I imagine, I don't know for sure, but somehow or another in that big exchange, there's going to be this leveling of the playing field. There's going to be this giant clarification. You ever study the Bible and have questions? I mean, you ever listen to me or somebody else teach and you're like, yeah, I don't know. Of course you do, everybody does. You ever think, man, when I get to heaven, I'm asking Jesus this one. Well, let me guarantee you, it's gonna get clarified. And everybody's bad doctrine is gonna be cleared up. And some of the stuff we're gonna say, I knew it. I knew we had that one. And other stuff will be like, oh. Those guys were right. I missed that for 35 years how did i miss that but when we see jesus like it's all good man and our brothers from different camps and denominations or whatever they are all of us are going to be fixed right and we're all going to believe the same stuff at the rapture at the rapture well, does that mean that we shouldn't be worried about that now (laughs) Because really, ultimately, without exception, it's only going to happen then. But, Amos 3.3 gives us some insight, a verse a lot of you may be familiar with. It says, gives a rhetorical question. Can two walk together, except they be agreed? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously not. I could have a charismatic brother in Christ And we can totally agree about God's plan for salvation. But if we're going to talk about the application of spiritual gifts in our life today, we just don't agree. (laughs) And we just can't really walk together in that area at least because in that area we don't agree. We just don't agree. When we meet Jesus, one of us will be right. Maybe both of us will be wrong. I don't know, but we ain't both right because we don't agree. (laughs) Who knows? But... You have to be agreed in order to walk together, in order to express unity, right? You have to agree. So you know what? What you believe is important. You see that? It's the unit Now it's the unity of the faith. The ultimate unity is not just of the spirit. It's of the faith. Because what you believe about God, what you believe about this book, is a source of division. It's a source of strife for people, isn't it? I mean, standing for truth, it divides people. Wish it didn't, but it does. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Stop there a second. God says, through the Apostle Paul, to the church in Rome, mark them. Notice who they are. The guys who cause division. The guys who cause offense. What kind of offense? Offense contrary to the doctrine that you've learned. Mark those guys. Know who they are. And you know what else he says about them? Don't be unified with them. You see that? Avoid them. Well, that's not loving. That's not unifying. Where's the spirit, sweet spirit of Jesus in that? Well, that's what God says. If they're, listen, we endeavor to keep The unity that we have we we work at it hard and if some knucklehead jumps in and tries to mess that up let's just move over here and keep having our unity and leave that guy out sorry for you man avoid them it's the bible commands us avoid them don't have unity with them you see that it's crazy why verse 18 For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, I mean, they're nice guys, man. They're smooth talkers. Deceive the hearts of the simple. You see that? At the end of the day, why avoid them? Well, it kind of goes back to where we started. They're carnal, they're selfish, they're not teaching you the truth, they're false teachers. So listen, if you didn't already know this, and look, I know, if you come to this church regularly, you got this down. This fact, I'm going to tell you, this is a simple fact, okay? Truth matters, y'all. Truth matters. It really does. What you believe matters. Take it a step further. Obeying it matters. It really matters. And we are not to be united with carnal, self-serving people even in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to hold a Bible and teach some lesson. If you identify such people that are causing division, you are to mark them, and you are to avoid them. No unity there. That's very interesting. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 8. But unto them that are contentious, who are the contentious people? And do not obey the truth. But obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. It goes on, if you continue to read, judgment unto them. Okay, Judgment waits for them. And so the idea is, if you have a guy who's teaching false doctrine, avoid that guy. But if you might even have a guy who, who says, he'll sign on the dotted line, I believe all that stuff you believe, just refuses to live it. He says, man, that's, that's just as bad. They're not obeying the truth. They're contentious. They bring contention because the truth is pushing them in a direction they do not desire to live. So they're contentious. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. In this context, it's really lost people, but it's just another illustration that God does not just want worldwide unity the fatherhood of god the brotherhood of man we are all god's children let's just hold hands and sing i mean that's not what he's saying second corinthians 6 14 be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness and what concord hath christ with belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel Listen, do you realize that there is some area where unity does not apply? No. Please, please understand. That is not license for you to be unkind. That is not a a free pass for you to be rude and obnoxious. It just says, God just says, stand. Fear not. Stand. Stand in the truth with others who will stand in the truth. Believing and applying the truth of God. Do it together. Do it in love. Do it for His glory. And when other people come around, just don't let them mess up your party. Don't let them ruin your deal. Don't cooperate with carnal, divisive people. That's all he's saying. What should we do? Well, you know, if your life is driven by bumper stickers, (laughs) right, you're going to (laughs) coexist. Tolerance is the highest virtue. Live and let live. You take your path, I'll take mine. They're all equally fine. Well, not according to the Bible. And so this whole idea, and by the way, there is a very popular school of thought that says, it is true, we recognize doctrine divides people. It does. So here's what we need to do. We need to get rid of doctrine. If Bible study causes people to disagree, Bible study's got to go. It's just got to go. I mean, there's people who believe that. And they have strategically positioned their ministries and the philosophy of their ministry around this idea of never offend. Never do anything that would ever offend anyone in any way. Never really go hard at any truth for any reason because somebody might, you know, they might take it wrong. And I mean, if they're offended, I mean, gosh, that that can't be good. I mean, we want to love them. Of course we want to love them. God loves us so much that he gave us the truth so that we don't have to walk in darkness, so that we don't have to stumble in the night, so that we don't have to guess what he wants from us. We can know exactly he gave us a laser focus on what is right, which sadly then also leaves others outside of that, saying, well, you know, if you're not in the light, you're in darkness, and that's your choice, but you can come to the light like anybody can. The spirit of the age is Tolerance is the greatest virtue. Unity above truth. That's the idea. But that's not what God says. That's not what he says. Okay, so if verse 3, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, represents biblical unity now, today, and if verse 13, right, the unity of the faith represents biblical unity ultimately then, then maybe, just maybe, the verses in between (laughs) teach us how to work toward that ultimate unity even now. You tracking with me? It's just not that hard. Three times in the Bible the word is used. How awesome is it in Psalm 133, verse 3 and verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 4. So I just want to reread, okay? God is telling us something. The unity in the spirit, we've got to work hard to keep it, man, because the tendency is away and the ultimate expression of unity is when we all believe the same stuff, there's nothing to fight about anymore. In the meantime, he's trying to teach us how to get from here to here. Let me just reread for you those verses, please, 11 to 16. And just with those ears now, listen. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What if we worked towards that even now? That we henceforth be no more children. What are children like? tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You see that? By the slight of men and cunning craftiness. You know, by the good words and the fair speeches, deceiving the hearts of the simple maybe. Cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. What should we do? But speaking the truth in love. May grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body, the the united body of Christ, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase growth of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The theme? Grow up. That's the theme. The theme is continue to grow. The theme is continue to learn. The theme is continue to study. The theme is to to continue to understand what God's truth really is so that you're not confused. So that when other winds of doctrine and false teaching comes along, you are not just blown away by that and thinking, ah, you know, I don't know, I mean sounded good well sounded good reminds me of good words and fair speeches what did God say in context what did he say defining his words by his words comparing scripture with scripture drawing out the understanding God intends what did he say can we know that of course we can know that the Bible says the secret things belong to God, to belong to the Lord. And a lot of people want to say, well, all that deep doctrine stuff, that, that's the secret things that belong to the Lord. Really? That verse goes on and says, yeah, but the things revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. God's revealed them to us through his spirit, right? I hath not seen, earth not heard, the things God laid up for them that love him. We say, that's heaven. Well, okay. But there's also a lot of truth in the word of God and his wisdom That maybe your eye hasn't seen and your ear hasn't figured out yet. But God has revealed them unto us through His Word by His Spirit. And so He just implores us in this part of Ephesians chapter 4 with the focus being on until we can ultimately all come in the unity of the faith, all believing the same things. Don't be children, don't be blown around with every wind of doctrine. But speak the truth in love. You know what that means, really? Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Don't be a jerk. Don't be afraid of people talking about other things. Don't be afraid of false teachers. Don't be afraid of carnal believers. We're not running and hiding. Don't be silent. Don't just think, oh, you know, he might not like it if I stand for that. No, speak the truth. Speak the truth. It doesn't say blow him over, be rude, tell him how stupid he is. I can't believe you haven't figured that out yet. I mean, you're just a moron. I mean, don't do that kind of stuff. Don't be a jerk. Speak the truth in love. Can you do that? That's the balanced Christian life. That's living out our stand. That's, that's being, uni- if we can do that, we can be united about that. We can be excited about that. Here at First Baptist Church, I've said this a lot, I'm gonna keep saying it a lot. We have this thing that we call the path of growth. Did we get the graphic up for that? Okay, so we're not gonna spend a lot of time on this. We've talked about this a lot. It's a big story. They're out in the lobby and if you want more info on what this is all about, go to lobby, we'll help you out, okay? Talk to us, put on the connection card, we'll help you. The whole point is this, this exists so that you can learn, so that you can grow. This is strategically, biblically, defensively, step-by-step defined according to what God lays out in his word as the natural steps he uses to raise his children. What should I do to be able to get on this path? What should I do in order to grow like you're talking about, Pastor Jeff? Well, get on the the course. Start at the beginning and work your way through. These are available for you, okay? I'm I'm not gonna go through the details of what they are. You can get more information. But let me just tell you something. No big secret, okay? First Baptist Church, like any church, we suffer from strife and contention from time to time, right? Now, let me tell you, I've been here six years. It's way better than it used to be. If you were here six years ago, I mean, it was worse then, and we've been working through stuff, and people are growing, and we're way more healthy, and and the level that I'm aware of, and I'm aware of a lot, is way lower. But people are people, and stuff happens, and that's okay. Kale was up here and talked about the connection card. We encourage you every week to write that stuff in. I mean, we get occasionally, you know. Tom, smart-alecky comments on connection cards. You know, it's part of the job. I get it. <laughs> typically, when somebody wants to be very negative, you know, not, not, no, 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 I didn't say typically. Forget I said typically. 100% of the time, when somebody wants to be negative, it's anonymous. It's anonymous. By the way, I have mentioned, years ago I said this. If you write an anonymous negative comment card, I don't even see it. I have instructed my secretary to throw it away. So you have wasted your time, ink, and one card. You've wasted it. <laughs> now, if you want to do that, go ahead. The only person that might be just remotely slightly poisoned is, is my poor secretary. <laughs> I won't even see it. Some people uh, write anonymous positive ones. Man, that was awesome. They don't write their name to it. Thank you. <laughs> I prefer if you put your name though because I, I mean, look, if you're going to say something nice, let me know who you are, man. I want to be happy for you. But whatever. Anonymous and positive is okay. But we get that stuff. I mean, we hear it. There's murmuring. There's people who are upset about stuff. I mean, stuff happens. It's life. It's normal. Listen, we're, I'm just saying we're not immune to it, right? Oh, is that still up there? Okay, Look. So, the learn circle is all about personal discipleship, and the engage circle is about continued discipleship in classes. We call that MTT, Ministry Tools and Training. And the lead circle is about a Bible Institute training future leaders and pastors. Seriously, you know who we don't get critical comments from? People involved learning, people who are engaged in the mission, people who are leading people who are studying the Bible purposely, people who are learning the doctrines of the faith, people who are learning what the truth really is, they are engaged in ministry, don't cause strife and contention. They don't. People who cause strife and contention are people who are not doing these things. Is that a surprise? we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, but we're not striving towards the unity of the faith. If we're not striving and working towards discipling people and learning and growing to have a unified faith, unity is going to slide out the door. See that? But before we're done, I've got to give this to you because this is really good. 1 Corinthians 11, 18 and 19, God does say, you've got to get this, that divisions can be... A useful thing. What? Yes. Divisions can be used together for good, okay? 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. 18. For first of all, again, Corinthians, shocker. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you. What? Wait. A heresy Literally, the root of the word heresy is the same as division. A heresy is a division. It would be the word from which we get the word a sect, or like a religious sect. A splinter group. It is a divided segment. But a heresy emphasizes the idea of false teaching. So it is a division of people based on some flagrant teaching. Okay so I hear there's divisions I partly believe it then he says this crazy there must be also heresies among you why so that they which are approved may be made manifest among you huh so divisions are going to exist we wish they weren't but they will and God even says you know it's okay let there be people bringing up goofy teachings Because you know how many use that? The guys who qualify as approved, they're going to be made manifest. Why? Because they're going to step out and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. The truth says this. And that, my friend, is a heresy. Do you know that there's only one verse in all of the Bible that tells you what you need to do in order to qualify as approved. You know where I'm going? 2 Timothy chapter two. It's in your notes. Of course you know where I'm going. 2 Timothy 2.15. Only one verse in the Bible that tells you how you can qualify as approved. Study to show thyself approved unto God. a workman, it is hard work that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Don't be afraid Don't be silent. Don't be a jerk. Stand. Speak in love. If you do that, if you study the word of God, you understand the divisions, you know how it fits, it applies in your life. Some Yehu jumps in and tries to teach something crazy and you're like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't think that you can prove that in context. In fact, let's look at that. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be insulting. By the way, if you do, you're carnal. You can be kind. You can be polite. But you can also not be unified with that spirit of division. You can do it. And that's what God wants us to do. You study the Bible, you study to show yourself approved. And if you do, you'll stand. You will demonstrate your approval just by simply standing against the heresies that are blowing across our land. Look, like we said, it's intuitive. Unity is a good thing. Two thumbs up for unity. We're all for it. It's awesome. It's refreshing. I wish we could have it all the time. It brings peace. I'm a big fan of peace. I don't know about you, man. I can't wait for peace, okay? I know Jesus brings in the peace. I can't wait for that. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of strife. I'm tired of arguing. Aren't you? Don't you wish it didn't have to be that way? Don't you wish you didn't have to fight and argue with people all the time? Listen, unity is an awesome thing. What we need to do is what God says to do. For now, we endeavor. That means you work at it. To keep, to preserve the unity of the Spirit among ourselves here in this local church. Those of you that come here regularly, for the most part, I'm guessing, you'd be gone if, you, if this wasn't true. For most of you, look, we pretty much already believe the same stuff, right? I mean, if you just don't, I mean, maybe you're a guest and maybe this is new and maybe you're not sure and we're thrilled you're here. I hope that you're treated well. But for those of us that are members and are here a long time, we, we pretty much have landed on what we believe. But yet still, carnality creeps in. Still, we sometimes have a hard time living it. So among ourselves in in this very local church I would have to ask you to consider this question do you have strife with your brother or sister here in this body? If if that question brings a name to your mind you have strife or contention with somebody just go and take care of it. How am I going to do that? Well remember verse (laughs) 2 with all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. That's how you're going to take care of it. Quit fighting for your rights, man. Just be that way. Lowly, meek, long-suffering, forbearing, loving. You'd be amazed how much stuff can be cleared up. So among ourselves, we need to demonstrate this unity. But you know what? I, I believe God wants more than just that. I think God wants us to have unity with other believers worldwide i think that we should expand our ability to influence people all over this world and that we need to be friends and partners with more and more people from more and more churches who will have the unity of the faith they will have the unity of the faith and when we identify who those people are we intentionally partner with them we find like-minded men we find like-minded churches we find like-minded missionaries And we work together with them on purpose because there is a synergy, because there is a power that comes from that. And in so doing, probably the two main areas that we can work together most effectively with other people in other churches that are in other states far away is through the area of education and the area of missions. That we can cooperate and share solid biblical teaching and that we can help to mobilize the men and women of this body that ultimately want to go out and serve in other places. And we can help each other in that way. That's just smart. That's just an application of biblical unity. And in the weeks to come, you're going to hear more about how we can do things like that. We can also teach doctrinal issues at specific times. We do that regularly in our church, but we can take times like we are going to take in our spring Bible conference that's coming up. And in our spring Bible conference, we can pick doctrinal issues that are confusing to people, generally speaking. And, and we just kind of drive a stake in the ground and we say this is the clear biblical teaching. And we promote biblical unity of common faith. We minimize confusion. And that's what we intend to do with this year's spring Bible conference. And there is already an ever-growing list of pastors and believers from other churches, many of which I visited last week, who are planning to make the trip to Mecca, I mean New Philadelphia, and (laughs) spend those days with us in March. That was a slip of the tongue. How'd that come out? We minimize confusion when we teach things accurately in love. I think I remember God is not the author of confusion. That's right, yeah, that's right. So listen, wherever you're at, let me just encourage you. If there's a name that God just painted across your forehead, man, you've got to take care of that thing. Before you go out and turn the key in your car ignition, if they are in this building, man, can you just say, man, let's just sit down and pray together. And if maybe, it, maybe it's a text message or a phone call and you meet them for coffee later on this week or whatever the case might be. We've got to take care of this thing, man. Because if you're just willing to live in that division, It's carnal. It's just carnal. And if you're confused about stuff and you're not sure what you believe and you would agree with what we said, but you just don't know, man, just talk to somebody in the lobby about this path for growth thing. I mean, we're here to help you. That's why we do it. We're not just doing it because it's just the funnest thing to do. It's hard work, but we love doing it. We love investing in people. We want to help you. People helped us. That's why we're here. So it's the greatest thing in the world. So whatever it is that God has for you, let me just encourage you. Do that business with the Lord and let's take care of that. Let's pray together.